outside the box. Hello and welcome to November's Outside the Box. How are we all doing? Mickey Noonan. I'm all right, thanks, Hannah Dunleavy. Very pleased that you asked. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Jen Offord, are you all right? Yeah, just, um, you know, thinking about alpacas, apparently. Yeah, good, good. Rounding endorsement of our state of mind (laughs) there. Okay, loads to crack on with. Last episode, which was Jen and I, so that would have been October's episode, we were talking about how there'd been a bit of a delay in the release of the autumn dramas and comedies, but a lot has come in the interim. So there's a couple of things I just want to mention here, some of which some of you may have seen or may not have seen. I don't think you have, but anyway... Shetland returns. Jen, I've done a bit that? on it. I've done Okey a bit Kokey. on it. Okay, Well, mm. then we'll hold far on that. Yeah. Okay. Dougie Henshaw is out. Ashley is. Jensen is in. But more on that in a bit. The Gilded Age. Either of you? I don't think so. Series two. It's a Julian Fellows, the guy behind Downton Abbey, who I ordinarily. I would just stay away from his stuff completely. Except it's about the rise of the Robin Barons in New York and it stars Christine Borinsky and Carrie Coon. So I did actually try the first Ooh. series. I tried like two episodes of it, but I just couldn't get over the Julian Fellowsness of it. Nonetheless, Fair. that's back for people who may be interested. That's on Sky or on Now TV. Three Little Birds, Lenny Hemorrhage, Windrush drama on ITV. Anybody watched it? The reviews were really bad, weren't they? So so I've not. Were they? Mm. Okay. Maybe I will watch a few then, see if there is something to redeem it. What We Do in the Shadows, Series 5, has finally dropped on Disney. Mickey, have you watched any? No, but I didn't even know it had dropped yet, so I'm very excited. Thank you. Maybe I'll just say something at the end about that in a non-spoilery way, because I don't want to spoil it for you. Series 2 of The Lazarus Project is back on Now and Sky, six parts. It's released week by week. I'm not going to talk about that because I had a chat with Anjali Mahindra, which is in not last week's podcast, the week before. You should give that a listen if you just want to listen to her telling me how much I love her and how spectacular R she is. <laughs> As you know, I had to join Netflix the other day so we could watch something for flicking. So I've got a month of Netflix. And I noticed that series three of Lupin is on there. Yes. I saw that had landed. I don't know if I will watch it because it is very, <gasps> very, very silly. On the other hand, Omar Sy is amazing and so charismatic. So I'm a bit torn as to whether I will watch that. You look like you definitely will, Mick. Yeah, I think mainly because of the Omar Sy-ness of Lupin. And also there's a really cool little dog in it. I like him as well. Jacques. I thought you were calling it Lupin, Mix. Mix? What yeah, Lupin. Mix? That's mix. never done that before. Right. I thought you were calling Come it Loops, Mix. Ah, <laughs> uh, the loops. Ah, uh, yeah, me and loops. We go way back. He just falls for my uh, French accent. <laughs> Dark Winds, uh, six-part series. I'm sorry on, about that. On now, guy, <laughs> a crime drama based in the Navajo Nation, and is based on a series of novels. Executive produced by George R. R. Martin and Robert Redford, and starring Sam McLaren, which actually made me watch two episodes of it, and it is good. But I just don't want to watch six episodes of a crime drama. I would say that is worth a look if people want to, but I'm not going to look anymore. And similarly, Time, Jimmy McGovern's series returns, this time with some female writers on board because it is set in a women's prison on BBC. I think it's three parts. 
Bella Ramsey, Jodie Whittaker among the names in it. I think Siobhan Finneran's back in her role as the prison priest or... Is she a priest or a vicar? Chaplain. Oh, she'd have to be a vicar. Chaplain, I believe. that's the word I was searching for. I don't think I've got it in me at the minute with the way my life is inside and outside of the real world to watch this because I think it will be really depressing but I also think it will be really good. Either of you tempted by that? I watched about 10 minutes last night by accident uh, because, (laughs) no, because I want to watch it but much like Hannah said, I've been sort of stealing myself for it. I I don't feel like I've got it in me right now because of how utterly miserable but also brilliant um, the first one was. And uh, I've got some house guests at the moment and I got home last night and they were watching it. So I accidentally watched about 10, 15 minutes of the second episode. It's pretty miserable. <laughs> it's pretty miserable. <laughs> I haven't seen the first series, but again, like I know he's an incredible writer and the first series had Stephen Graham and Sean Bean in it, right? Yeah. 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 So like formidable actors and writing, but I, yeah, I, I don't need to actually seek out misery. Mm. <laughs> it keeps finding me and, you know, finding all of us if we just look at the news. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to do that. I think that is more than fair enough, Meg. So we're going to start by talking about something a whole lot dafter, although maybe not as daft as it first appears. It's about the most ill-judged libel trial since Oscar Wilde sued <laughs> someone for calling him a homosexual. <laughs> Jen, you're going to lead on this, but I have actually seen it, as have loads and loads of people that I would say ordinarily wouldn't watch yeah. this and have thoroughly enjoyed it. So take it away, Jen. Okay, so Hannah is talking about Colleen Rooney, The Real Wagatha Story, a three part documentary on Disney Plus about, as the title suggests, the situation that led to Rebecca Vardy taking Rooney to court for alleged libel. We all know how the story ends. The High Court dismissed Vardy's case. We probably know all the twists and turns on the road to that verdict, Davy Jones's locker and all. What we probably didn't fully understand was, I guess, the impact of press intrusion on Rooney over the many years she's been in the public eye since the age of about 16. And I think that this is a fascinating and frankly hilarious account of all of the above. Mm-hmm. I saw reviews for this which said it was, and I quote, boring, but I couldn't disagree more. I found it this kind of like rare glimpse into Rooney's life because they're pretty private people. That You do not get a lot of access to these people because they are, you know, so famous, I guess, yeah. and so under such scrutiny as well. So I found it really compelling and I watched all three episodes back to back in one evening I think that Rooney comes across very well, if not someone with probably a bit too much time on her hands. Uh, (laughs) When you look at the way she sorts her children's clothes out for school, for example. I slightly wonder what her motivation for making it was, but I don't really care. Obviously, I don't condone (laughs) the horrendous trolling that Vardy received off the back of the dot, 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 Rebecca Vardy's account. But I will say that I did laugh for days after witnessing her read one of those tweets on Loose Women and uh, all of the women go, no, babes, hon, no, don't, don't do it, babes. Hannah, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I loved it in a really, I suppose, (laughs) guilty pleasure way because it got to be quite trashy, but at the same time I got to intellectualise it as I was watching it, which is quite unusual. I mean, the aesthetic is so 
sort of scripted realities. There are bits that are so over the top, like when they read her, the infamous Instagram account, and loads of different people read it out, and it's really cheesy, dot, dot, dot. It was Rebecca Vardy. And it's got some talking heads that are hilarious, including one of her friends who they talk about when that Instagram post first went up and she said, oh, I was on my way to have my eyelashes done in my mate's garage. And it's just so funny. It's just everything about it is so funny. But at the same time, I fully agree how young she was when she was first like thrust into the public eye and how she's been harassed by the media is really enlightening. Hadley Freeman makes a really good point in this about how if Colleen Rooney hadn't done this, then the lid wouldn't have been lifted off how the media works. You know, it really gave people like a mm. glimpse behind the curtains of how the media works. And and I, I suppose it sets up this sort of thing between, because I think she comes across as actually really well, like, and her family, we're all sort of the earth people. Yeah. And I suppose it's sort of a portrait of two women, and I might be doing Rebecca Vardy down, but she comes out really, really badly from this. And that's saying something, given that Piers Morgan is on this being an absolute <laughs> Like, seriously, a terrible human being. And he's still not the worst person, the person who comes worst out of this. But it seems like this is something that Colleen Rooney fell into, and this was something that Rebecca Vardy, like, moved into, like, this position that they're in. So the different motivations that they have and how the media's treated them. So, yeah, I thought it was... And at the same time, like I say, really fucking watchable. I watched it over, like, two nights, and I never thought I'd spend two hours of one of my evenings watching a documentary about Colleen Rooney but here we are yeah I agree it's a fascinating case and you remember I interviewed the writer and the director of the um play that was made about it which I can't remember anyone's names off the top of my head I'm afraid but they were sort of saying that like they found it really interesting like all of the like legal arguments and stuff it's a it's a genuinely fascinating case when you look into like how it all came about and yeah. and you know how she won because no one thought well she didn't win I guess Vardy rather lost I suppose but uh, since she's the one bringing the action but no one thought that was going to happen up until apparently like right at the last minute and it yeah it's it's like legally it's sort of fascinating and Mm. the media stuff is really fascinating as well and um yeah no Vardy doesn't but that's the thing isn't it like I remember at the time when it was happening everyone was saying like there were people who were like sort of live tweeting or whatever the case as it was happening and they're like I'll remind you that Vardy brought this (laughs) brought this action herself yeah (laughs) and yeah just absolutely nuts I mean obviously it's made with them so it's, yeah. it's designed to make their life look fantastic and, and all of that stuff. But Wayne Rooney but comes across as a quite a comedy character. There's a point at which the lawyer mentions that uh, mm. that he got really into the court case mm. and kept saying he might retrain to be a lawyer and they all just piss themselves laughing when they say it. <laughs> yeah, it's quite sort of knowing, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. There's something that I don't have very much to say about because I've only watched two episodes of it, but feels like it ties in really nicely with this, yeah. and that is the Robbie Williams documentary oh, okay. on Netflix. Oh, right. yeah. I've seen two, and basically, it's that sounds to me, I haven't seen the one that you've just been talking about, but it sounds to me like it's there's a, a cast of quite a few characters in this who have airtime and put their views and talking heads across, whereas this is just Robbie Williams, basically. They've got him in his house... He's watching footage that he's never seen before of him 
from when he became famous, which again, like Colleen Rooney, was he was yeah. just 16. Yeah. And looking back, he looks so young. So, so young. He's a little boy. I don't know why, but he does it all just wearing his pants. I'm not sure whether that's relevant enough, whether it is a kind of like... <laughs> tongue-in-cheek nod to the fact that we're seeing a lot of stuff it's an expose <laughs> i don't know but he is just in his not tighty whiteies the tighty black yeah it's weird and you see his tattoos and stuff and he is very very candid but of course we're literally only getting it from his point of view so take that as you will and he's looking back at this footage and he's very open about how lost he was, how cruel he could be, particularly towards Gary Barlow, his anxiety. Like you're watching this guy have a breakdown on mm. stage in front of tens of thousands of people. And unless you've got a heart of stone, no matter what you think of him, it is really quite moving. And I think it's it's a really interesting study on fame and what we expect from our celebrities and again, the big reveal is the press intrusion and how that can really mm. fuck someone up and fuck someone over. So I'm going to watch this two more. It is a bit onanistic, I guess, because he's literally just sat in his pants watching footage of himself and we're there for the ride. But he's he's quite charming and likeable in a way that he always was anyway. And he's watching himself self-destruct. It's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to finish it. But the press intrusion is just... Oh, it's sickening. I can't watch him because I find watching him is like watching a coiled spring. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a sort of volatility to him. Like what is he going to do? Like, it... Is the Iceland volcano? Mm. You think he's going to erupt at some yeah. point? Yeah. You're just not sure when. Yeah. Could be minutes, yeah. could be hours, could be days. And I can't like, I just, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone particularly enjoys like volatile people and I'm not suggesting he's volatile in a kind of like you know violent way or anything like that there's too much jeopardy for me I, I can't do it <laughs> sorry it's very calm in the today footage the contemporary footage it's interesting what you say about the media though Mick he was kind of always portrayed as being in some sort of beef with someone do you know what I mean yeah with Oasis or with Oasis, the other members of the band Barlow, or all yep. of that stuff and so much of that is manufactured isn't it because we've just talked about what happens when two people basically have a massive public spat. We all gather around going, fight, 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 fight. Yeah, cheering them on like in the schoolyard. Yeah, there's a bit where he sort of had a, I think it was a proper relationship with Jerry Halliwell, obviously former Spice Girl. Oh, really? That's so real. they were both followed round. So when they were together, there was just, and he said, wherever we went, there was press. And someone told him that it was Jerry tipping them off. And it's what? sort of finished their friendship and he's like and now I know that wasn't the case it will have been phone hacking mm. and all of the stuff that was mm. going on but yeah there's this thing of like how actually they were quite good for each other because those worlds are like beyond us right yeah. I cannot fathom what it must be like to be like surrounded by people just screaming in your face at all times and it is just like wowzers and yet they understood it and so they were very good supports for each other and then it got exploded. Yeah, because they would have been in almost exactly the same position because obviously she was the one that left the Spice Girls first and he was the one that left Take That first and they were kind of like the catalysts. So yeah, so I guess like they would have really had like like quite a profound understanding. So he was asked to leave Take That, which I don't think was common knowledge. So he was asked to leave Take That and then they kind of released it as a Robbie's not coming with us. But they said to him, we'd like to do this tour as a four. Because he was self-destructing, yeah. basically. And they were like, it's not the ethos of Take That. 
And then the hatred he got from fans. Yeah, we fucking hate Robbie. We're, how dare he? And all of the stuff. And this kid was 20. Yeah, I think it was known. I think it was, yeah, I think I think he said at the time that that is sort of what had happened. But it was because he he was like pictured at Glastonbury, wasn't he? With like the Gallaghers and stuff. And it looked like he was, yeah, he was like boozing and he'd, and they were a bit oh, like, yeah. this is yeah. not. He's very candid about yeah, it. Yeah, this is not the image that we kind of want. This is not very, like, teenage girl-friendly, what you're doing at the moment kind of thing, or, or pre-teen friendly, I guess. I have another documentary. Should we talk about that? Go for it. Should we do all the documentaries up at the top, like we're, like, a serious... Yeah, documentaries about Colleen Rooney and, and uh, Robbie <laughs> Williams. Very highbrow <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. This is slightly more highbrow. This is called Saviour Complex... And if a title ever needed uh, a comma, it's in this, a saviour complex. Sky Now, three-part documentary, originally made by HBO. And it is the story of Renee Back, who is an American who's uh, a religious sort of missionary-style American, young. um, And by that, I mean sort of late teens, early 20s, who ran something called Serving His Children, which offered free meals and treatment to children in Uganda. However, they had no medical training, they had no doctors there, and 105 children died in their care. The other group of people in this documentary are called No White Saviours, and they are a campaign group who opened an Instagram account. A Ugandan woman called Olivia Alasso and a former missionary, a white woman called Kelsey Nielsen. And it sort of follows their work to try and expose this woman. It's all very interesting, but I have to say, Kelsey Nielsen has one of the most abrasive personalities I think I've ever encountered. And she is exactly that sort of white woman that, I'd say like Robin D'Angelo is, where she automatically assumes the rest of us are as stupid as she used to be. So she comes across in a very proletizing, very domineering way. From what's going on with exposing Renee back and what's happening there, she sort of extrapolates something about people and that I actually found deeply, deeply dislikable. So in the middle, it started to sag a bit and I thought, I don't know if I'm going to continue watching this because I understand that it's very complicated. In fact, I saw a tweet on Twitter just this week in which a white man was saying that he was working in a village bringing water to this community and he received a lot of criticism for being a white saviour and and then a lot of people saying, but if he didn't bring the water, who would? So I'm well aware this is a really complicated Mm -hmm. argument. It really picks up when Prima Kualga, who's a human rights lawyer, in Uganda gets involved because she is an exceptionally likeable presence and she really holds the end of the the documentary together until Kelsey Nielsen what do you think happens to her Mickey is she not classed as a white saviour as well (laughs) oh well done (laughs) did the the snake eat its own head Hannah (laughs) exactly that happened and inside this documentary there's like a Trojan horse documentary about online activism and purity spirals and that as well So I actually thought it turned out to be really fucking fascinating. The whole idea, again, saviour should be comma and then complex because the whole idea of the damage that's done in Africa, the image that's put out in Africa, and then the idea that you have white activists trying to head organisations. Really, really interesting. 
wowzers a proper hornet's nest but and oh yeah yeah interesting mickey you've probably watched another documentary style thing haven't you because it's probably a nature program that you've rustled up (laughs) from somewhere my god the depths of the internet they are working david attenborough very hard the man is in his late 90s come on guys keep him working i'm very grateful yep Yet more Majestic TV from the BBC and David Attenborough uh, as Planet Earth 3 has hit our screens with astonishing jaw-dropping footage gathered over five years and across 43 countries. Also, this is an eight-parter. They're usually six. Uh, Eight-parters, great news for me and anyone else who Mm. loves watching this sort of stuff. Four episodes are currently available on iPlayer and fresh episodes land each Sunday evening on BBC One. As has become familiar now with these documentary yeah. series the message that we fucked things up and we need to get mending like yesterday if not decades ago it, it's still there but it's actually a lot less doom and gloom than the recent attenborough series that i have talked about on outside the box that said i know that episode seven is titled humans so you know <laughs> maybe there'll be more of a scream of despair then What I really enjoy is, because obviously nature is brutal, it's beautiful, but it's brutal. That's just the way nature works. And so you see, you know, you're tracking this buffalo and then all of a sudden a lion's got it in its jaws and you're like, oh, I really want the buffalo to escape. I really want the lion to eat because they're amazing. So there's a real push and pull with the characters in inverted commas that we follow. I like that in this series, whenever we follow a creature that inevitably gets itself into danger because nature is brutal, the pullback reveal is a happy ending. They'll be like, oh, we're going to follow this little horned shark. There he is. Look at him swimming, this little baby horned shark. Oh, look, wait, what's this? There's a fish that disguises itself as sand. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Yeah. So the fish that disguises itself as sand eats the baby shark that we've been following for the past, like, five minutes and, you know, really taken into our hearts. And I did an audible, oh, and then it went, hold on. Little shark comes flying out of this sandfish's mouth. I've not written down the names of the creatures. And um, <laughs> you're like, whoa, go little guy. And it's called a horn shark because it's got a big horn on its fin. And it just stabs the sandfish in the face and escapes. And that happens quite a lot. You're like, oh no, a tiny ostrich has been left behind. And David goes, on his own, he will not survive for very long in the wild. Oh, boo hoo. And then, <laughs> what's this? Popper ostrich. It's just going to look until finds baby ostrich. So is that like the bit in the Lord of the Rings where they look up to the hill and like Gandalf's turned up with another army <laughs> and they all I'm come not, running down? I've not seen Lord of the Rings. Huh? <laughs> But let's say, yeah, it's it's exactly like that, (laughs) exactly like that. David Attenborough does say at that point in the film, wait a minute. (laughs) Frodo, don't wear the ring. Anyway, there's joy for that individual at least. And it's very true to form for these documentary series to reel us in with this lovely soft, oh look, nature's wonderful material before hitting us square in the jaw with bad. And by bad, I mean potentially apocalyptic news. So I am excited for episode seven. But all in all, still an absolute joy to watch. Utterly breathtaking shots of Earth's ridiculous beauty. We really don't deserve it, clearly. And masterfully presented, long may he continue to rule my world, my one true king, David Attenborough. <laughs> Let's take a break so Mickey can get a fan herself down or something. <laughs> oh, David. <laughs> <laughs> okay, welcome back, Jen. Why don't we talk about Shetland? Sure, okay. Well, Shetland is back for a whopping eighth series you might think it had run out of steam after seven right and also this is the first without douglas henshaw as the helm of the police on the remote island 
Alison Tosh McIntosh seems to be heading up the team now, but get ready for some friction because Detective Inspector Ruth Calder, played by Ashley Jensen, has been jettisoned in from that London to investigate the disappearance of Ellen Quinn, a young'un who has gotten herself involved with some very nasty people. Has she got a horned fin, Jen? That could be useful. If only, Mick. Um, oh. no, no spoilers. Um, yeah, so <laughs> she, she's fled for her hometown, Shetland, but turns out she had enemies all over the shop. Uh, will she be any safer there? Not least because her gran, played by Phyllis Logan, is clearly a fucking badden. I'll say that after two episodes. She's clearly, clearly a badden. Anyway, and she's been followed by some nasty dudes, one of whom is played by Don Gillet. You'd have seen him in basically everything ever, EastEnders for a long period of time and various other things. Anyway, Shetland, it transpires, is also colder. That's uh, Ashley Jensen. It's her hometown. She's a bit hardened to it and to life for reasons. Uh, presumably we'll find out more about those reasons as the series goes on and why she's such a massive bitch. So, you all know, obviously, that I like Shetland. I do miss Henschel in it, I have to say. But actually, it does okay without him. I think all of the reasons that I like it, that it's, you know, it's quite gentle and blah, 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 like those, those still quite stand. Quite gentle murder mystery. Yeah, I mean, it, like there are obviously brutal bits in it but like I, it's not I don't know it, it doesn't do that kind of like horrible dead naked lady like blah 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 like it doesn't do the sort of pornification of violence in the way that I think a lot of other mm. series like this do and it is you know since since he's gone it is nice to see a woman take his place if someone is going to especially someone you know with the chops of Jensen I would say I love Ashley Jensen yeah, she's amazing who I really like and I also feel like this is a bit of a different role for her I think she's more associated with kind of like nicey nicey likeable the best friend kind of kind of vibes I don't know maybe that's unfair maybe I haven't seen her in enough stuff but um yeah so I think it's quite nice to see her do something a bit different as well yeah, I'm enjoying it and I will keep watching. I'm only two episodes in thus far. I think there have been three. You can't watch it, like, you can't binge it all in one go on the iPlay. You have to watch it a week at a time. Old school. Mm. Yeah. But I quite like that because it does mean that, you know... I don't know. I don't feel like there's been much around recently, but then I watched loads last month, so maybe it's just... Maybe it's because I binged everything last month, so now I've got nothing to watch this month. I like people withholding episodes from me of some things because I have no self-control. <laughs> exactly. You've made that so... sound really personal. Just don't let Hannah watch it. We, we've got <laughs> yeah. all six, but don't let Hannah watch yeah. it. Well, otherwise you end up watching Ghosts in a single evening and then... Is that what you did? I think it was two evenings, but yeah. I, uh, I watched it, it again, obviously. It's like I've been waiting for the next ITV drama, but The Long Shadow is still on and I watched it all last month. So come on, guys, crack on. Well, exactly. I tell you what, I did fly through because I absolutely fucking love it. The Newsreader. Have you had a chance yet, Mick? I haven't even finished the first series. I have it. never watched it. It's very, it's very good. Okay. Like start the first series. Series two. I'll do it in a non-spoilerish way. Then I think. Who is the Newsreader? We'll come back to that question. That is the question, though, isn't it? That is the big question. Do they mean the newsreader as in, you know, in a kind of the way that you might use one as in an example of something, mm. you know, or does it mean a specific person? Anyway, 
It's 1987 to January 1988 in the Melbourne newsroom. And Helen Norville, who is played by Anna Torv, and Dale, yeah, Big Heart, and Dale Jennings, who is played by Sam Reed. Yeah, Big Heart. She's a 40-something newsreader with a history of mental health issues. He's a 30-something newsreader who's struggling with his sexuality. They're in a relationship together. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Well, I think it makes them one of the more interesting couples on television, if I'm totally honest, because the way they interact with each other and and the idea of partnership, you Mm. know, and their partnership work and all of that, I actually think it's it's really interesting. It's all building up to January 1988, which is Australia's bicentennial year. And of course, there's a lot of issues to be discussed around that, including there's a really good issue on Aboriginal rights that that really stands out that one. Jeff Walters, the guy that was sacked right at the start of the first one and his wife continue to sort of hang around in the background, sometimes in the foreground, being up to mischief and menace. (laughs) I think they're really likeable antagonists, as in Mm. they're not likeable people, but the situation's a likeable one because they're not out and out evil and they're terribly posh and polite, but they are also dreadful, dreadful people. They are assholes, yeah. Yeah. There's another really interesting relationship in the office now, which is uh, Nolene, who is now a producer played by Michelle Lim Davidson. She's fucking brilliant in this. And Rob, who's the sports reporter, who's played by Stephen Paycock. And the great thing about that, that that they encounter a number of problems, they're not all to do with race. Some of them are to do with race, but a lot of them to do with other things that ordinary couples encounter, sort of in difficult, you know, problems. So I, I like the fact that they do point out that there would be an issue here with race, but it's not the only issue Mm -hmm. that these two face. So I think they're an interesting couple as well. I think Anna Torv is marvellous. If you saw The Last of Us, you'll have seen her. She was in the first two episodes of that. She was absolutely cracking, so she's having a good year. But I have to say, for me, Sam Reid is the absolute star of the show. He is so... I don't know, small. His suits are so badly fitted. He's so sort of not at ease with himself as a human being. And Mm. what makes that an incredible performance is, like, last month we were talking about him being Lestat in Interview with the Vampire, which showed that he's actually massively stacked, Sam Reed. In fact, so much so that in a scene where he kind of wakes up naked, that he has to hold some clothes in front of him, I think, because Dale can't be that stacked. Do you know what I mean? Dale is not that. So it's actually an incredibly good physical performance for him to become as sort of small and fragile and insecure as Dale is. Yeah, I would I would definitely, definitely watch it if you watch the first one. Or if you haven't, you can. the first one's available to watch as well. I would watch both of them. I think they are really great. I think the answer to who the newsreader is, is Dale. Mm. I kind of thought that from series one, that they were setting it up as, like, combative. I never get that word right. Combative? I've put yeah. an extra T in it. Combative between... Sammy's character and Anatole's character and also the shadow, the shadowy cabal of the, the ex-arsehole. But yeah, they make it much more interesting than it just being, a, you know, a race. Yeah, it's very yeah. good. It reminds me of Mad Men in that when you explain it, it sounds quite soapy. But when you watch it, it's absolutely not that. It's really sharp. If the second series is anything like the first, which it sounds like it is, it's really sharp and fast. 
but also manages to be warm. I gave a shit about all of the characters, even the yeah. small side characters. Also, like, who doesn't like every so often going, oh, the fucking 80s? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anna, Anna Torf's hair is incredible. It really is. And it looks so nice when they don't have that done to it. And it's just getting taller and taller and taller <laughs> as it goes on. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the 80s. I have also, I don't know where I found the time, quite frankly, since I've been watching Has a Volcano Exploded blogs, <laughs> is Bodies, which is on Netflix. As I mentioned, I've currently got a month's worth of Netflix and I'd seen a lot of online buzz about this. So I decided to watch it. It's based on the graphic novel of the same name and it's about detectives solving a murder. But when I tell you what the rest of the premise is, you'll get that this is absolutely not a crime thriller. This is sci-fi. It's set over four different time frames and the same body, a naked body, but a man is found in the same alleyway in 1890, in 1941, in the present day and in 30 years into the... It's about them trying to work out in their individual time frames what the fuck is going on. Why did I watch it? Because it stars Stephen Graham. And even though he is probably the busiest man in the world since he appears to star in almost everything, I will watch everything that he's in. So I watched it. Um, The first episode is poor, I would say, but it definitely gets better. It's watchable in the Netflix. Oh, something comes to a cliffhanger. Or maybe I could just cram one more in before Mm -hmm. bedtime kind of way. Is it worth getting Netflix for? No, I would say. But... It's period stuff looks good. It's not quite as rich as I think, you know, other period dramas are, but that's probably because this has decided to set itself over such a wide time frame. How much money do you spend on a set that's only going to be used once? You know, mm. whereas it might be used if it was only set in one time frame, it'd be used over and over again. Yeah, I mean it's it's okay. It's watchable. Because I watched the first episode. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah. And I've not watched any more of it. There's a sort of squeamish bit of it that i did not enjoy yeah um it, there's quite a lot of squeamish bits in it that i did not enjoy quite actually. a lot of eye stuff in yeah it, i will say oh. yeah um and various autopsy gobbins and i was just like i don't think this is for me <laughs> so <laughs> I, I didn't i didn't persevere beyond that first episode but if you're saying it's worth persevering with i'm saying if you are literally Stuck in a rainy house mm. and you're like, God, I just want to sit inside and watch anything. Yes, this is the sort of thing you can barrel through. <laughs> what an endorsement. It's likeable. But I would say... Hey, are you in Body's pocket, Hannah? It sounds uh, like you've been paid to say this. Yeah, like that German guy in Putin. No, absolutely not. I didn't even get the full thing. I paid four ninety nine and took the adverts, which aren't always as well placed, I have to say. Does it get less grim or is it that grim throughout? And no, I mean, it is quite grim. I, I don't mind sci-fi, but I don't really like crime. And the two of them together. Exactly. So it's a, it's a, yeah, from me. Again, are you sure they're not paying you, Hannah? Because. <laughs> Jen, I was going to give some quick thoughts on what we do in the shadows. So, but you might have watched something that's kind of linked in some way. Yeah, vaguely. Uh, I watched something that's really old. Uh, not really old. I think 2008, I think is when it came out. And it's got Kai Van Novak in it for two fucking glorious episodes, which is the link to what we do in the shadows. I've been watching, with my mum, Phone Shop. Oh, wowzers. Did you ever watch Phone Shop? I've heard of it, but no, I didn't. Yeah, it didn't really appeal to Channel me. Channel 4. But... Yeah, is so it? that's how I felt about it. Like, mm, that doesn't look like something I would watch. One of my friends, Colman, said to me at the time, oh, it's brilliant. 
he's from Streatham and it is based sort of around that way. So he saw a lot of things, I think, that he recognised and uh, it was recently recommended to me by someone else. So I thought, well, I'll have a watch of that. The first series is just hilarious. Me and my mum just absolutely roared laughing at it. It does run out of steam a little bit in the second and by the third it is a bit dog shit. But the first series of it and the two episodes that Kai Van Novak is in are fantastic. Like his character, he plays like a psychotic regional manager basically and he is just fucking brilliant in it. It's, yeah, I really enjoyed it. If you're looking for something very, very, very silly to pass a bit of time, lovely stuff. To end, what we do in the Shadow Series 5, which we've waited absolutely ages for. It's on Disney and has all arrived in, in one go. Series 1 of this, I absolutely loved. Series 2 and 3. It was a little bit more hit and miss for me. I wasn't as convinced. How far have you got, Mickey? You're at the end of, you've seen the end of Series 4, haven't you? Yeah, I'm up yeah, to date yeah. apart from this series, yeah. But the end of Series 3, when, and this is sort of well, it's spoiler if you haven't seen any of it when colin robinson died <gasps> and i put that in inverted commas it seemed to change from being about the caper of the week which it had been up until then into more series long arcs so like series four was basically about raising or re-raising colin robinson and at the end of series four something happened which is that Guillermo got bitten by a vampire and series five is largely about what the repercussions of that are. And for me, that works loads better. The writing on both of those plot lines has been brilliant, but what's really made them work is in both of those instances, Colin Robinson and Guillermo, they were both paired with Matt Berry, with Laszlo. He is the Mm. character that they bounce off the most. So series five has got a lot of Guillermo and Laszlo together. I suppose my only substantive point would be to say that Matt Berry is wonderful in this he's so great and i think it's even more remarkable given that his his character laszlo he relies even more on like certain ticks and character traits that i Mm. think should become tired they should become tired but they don't the fact laszlo's habit of just narrating his life as he goes about his business that should feel forced but it doesn't (laughs) and now i feel like nando and Najee are sort of floating around with I don't know whatever's happening to them isn't always working for me it doesn't always work but Mm. everything that Matt Berry touches is fucking magic that's amazing because I think it was series three when they all sort of had a little standalone episode and Laszlo went off and was wearing a cowboy hat and became a sort of country singer and was giving up his vampire ways kind of thing was really flat for me and I was like oh that's a shame because I love Matt Berry so it's very good to hear that he is back because he was brilliant in four. Like, him raising Colin Robinson was wonderful. Mm. It just worked on so many levels. And Mark Prof, Prosh, Prosht? Prosht? Yes, Prosht. He's fantastic as well. Obviously, as is Harvey. Oh, it'll come to me who plays Guillermo. Guillermo. I mean, they are both really good. And I'm, that's not to say that Kayvan Novak isn't great and that Natasha Dimitriou isn't great. I just don't think the writing has been as strong for them as it has been for for Matt Berry and for for the others. And also worth saying, every time he turns up in this, the Baron is just amazing. (laughs) Just amazing. And there is yet more Baron, which is great. Uh, We should potentially have called Mr. Trousers Colin Robinson because he properly does a... (laughs) 
uh, intake of energy, uh, but it feels like a slightly mean name for a kitten. Okay, if nobody's got anything to add, let's press stop. Thanks for listening. Outside the box.